and I'm looking at um, being an heir and uh, the implications of that are obviously that we are in, we inherit and uh, we're going to look at uh, a couple of passages uh, starting in Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And then skipping to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? For if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. I love the way Paul, well, he didn't write it like that, but that's how it's been translated. It's very um, high intellect, far higher than mine. So we're looking at heirs and inheritance. I want to explain what it means to be an heir, an heir of God, not just any old heir. I've got lots of heir. But an heir to the riches of Christ. When we become a Christian, we become heirs. We become heirs to the riches of Christ. Now, being an heir speaks of something that is going to happen in the future. There is a now and not yet aspect to uh, being an heir of God. There is an immediate inheritance. We move into an inheritance when we become a Christian. But there is also a future aspect to your inheritance. So you don't experience all of it in the here and now. So there is a very significant now and not yet. So we're going to look at various aspects of our inheritance. Firstly, not missing out on it. Intimacy with our Father, Abba Father. Some of the really good stuff and some of the not so easy stuff. So... Um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit of a roller coaster. So everybody, do we all like an inheritance? Would you like to receive that letter from, you know, from um, Pew and Co. that says you're a beneficiary? You are in, you know, someone's willed you something. They've left you their house. They've left you the contents of their bank account. If I left you the contents of my bank account, you'd be able to go to McDonald's. But... Um, it, you know, we love an inheritance. You don't have to work for an inheritance. Someone has put all the effort in, and you just receive. It's something that was willed to. You were chosen to receive. There may, have been a, there may be a birthright in it as well. On the negative side, in uh, Lincoln Humanly, inheritance is... Uh, can have a diminishing value. If there's 10 siblings, there's going to be a share, there's going to be less, isn't there? 
But what I love about the inheritance that God gives us is that because there might be millions of people, but it doesn't diminish in value. You get the full inheritance. You, are, you get the full value of it. It can be of little value in the human sense. I mean, I remember we went to a National Trust house and uh, it, was a, it was a lovely house. And, well, it wasn't such a lovely house. It was a lovely garden. And the house was once very nice. And um, because of the way, you know, people died out and, um, and the, um, the, 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 one of the owners died. And they, they couldn't find the next of kin. And eventually they went so far down, they found these cousins that inherited this big old house. The trouble is the big old house came with no money. And so it, sort of they didn't know what to do with it. So they, they basically, there was 50 rooms and they lived in three of them. That, is not, that isn't a very good inheritance, is it? You know, you're not going to do so well on that. And eventually they gave it to the National Trust because it was just falling down around their ears. So they can be of little value. The, um, the principle of inheritance was established by Moses in Deuteronomy 21. And uh, we established something called the double portion, that the firstborn always received a double portion. Now, the good news is that um, you are, every single one of you who is in Christ, you are firstborn. You know, it, it, I think it's, it's one of those things that you think, hey, how can we all be firstborn? No, you are firstborn, you're set apart and holy. That's who you are, that's part of your inheritance. So you are a successor to God's estate. You are firstborn. Now, I don't want people to miss out on the fullness of their inheritance. There is, um, there is a YouGov site that, so, you, know, you, you know, you can tax your car on it and all this sort of thing. Now, there is also a YouGov site on unclaimed inheritances. And it goes on to page after page after page on um, Excel of all these inheritances, and they are worth millions of pounds. They're just unclaimed. They don't know, there's no, you know, they can't find their relatives or whatever. And there's all these, you know, and I don't want people to miss out on the inheritance that God has got for you. There are many Christians that struggle on a day-to-day -day basis because they are, they're, they don't know about God's inheritance. They don't know about the riches of Christ that he has for them. So they're, um, they're almost sort of living like, they, they, they think, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they're living in the old way. They haven't really stepped over into the, into the fullness of what Christ has given to us. And it made me think of um, the story of um, Joshua and the children of Israel before they um, entered into the promised land. And God said to the Joshua, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Now, they could have stayed on that side of the Jordan and just looked and thought, wow, look at our inheritance. But they had to step into their inheritance. They had to move into it to take it. And everywhere that they went became theirs. Yeah, there was a struggle from time to time, as we know, as, as they tried to uh, take the promised land. But God had given it to them. So we need to step into what God has given us. We need to walk into it to get the full benefit and enter into it. 
I'll be later on I'll be explaining what some of the, the great things are our inheritance. One of the first things when the, the uh, this uh, passage refers to um, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba Father. Now I'm sure you've you've picked up on this you know, the daddy God, the papa God thing, and that sort of thing. I mean, I, I don't struggle with that so much, but I do. If, if it only goes as far as calling God daddy or papa, I think we're missing out. Again, we're missing out. It's far more profound than that. It's much, much better. So often we hear that our experience of God is limited by our experience of a natural father. Now, I don't know how that is for you, but if that has elements of truth to you, I want to declare over you now that Abba Father is nothing like your natural father. Nothing like your natural father. Don't let that taint your experience of moving into intimacy with your, with your God. I mean, my father wasn't the most intimate father. You know, I can never remember... I can remember kissing him when I was when I called him daddy, but when I called him dad, I didn't because I'd grown up a bit, and he had a very bristly face anyway, and um, and I didn't, um, and but I can never remember a time when he hugged me close, you know that a prolonged hug, and you know, and I think that's my, you know, and uh, my mum did, but, you know, my dad didn't. And I, yeah, and I, I look and I think, it's too late for that now, but I wish, you know, I, we'd have had that greater intimacy. And I want to say to you that, you know, that God the Father, Abba Father, he's always there for you. You can knock him up at 2 a.m. in the morning and he's there for you. He's never too far away. He's there for you. He's not too tired after running the universe for a day. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't sit there with his feet up, you know, in his private room, you know, do not disturb. You know, you better not, you better not, um, you know, you better not go and see your dad now. He's a bit tired, a bit tetchy, that sort of thing. No. He's there for you. He's always open access to God. He's not away working, doing something more important. He's there for you. He's not emotionally stunted. He's not reserved and holding back. He covers you with kisses. Remember the story of the prodigal son when the, the son came back. He ran out to him, hugged him, and covered him with sloppy kisses. Now... You, perhaps I didn't want my dad to do that as I was walking up the road because that might be embarrassing. But you know what I mean? That's how our father does that. He hugs you. He wants you to get close. He wants, he wants to feel your heartbeat. You want to feel his. You want to be that close. You want to be that intimate with him. He wants to know your innermost thoughts. Even though he knows them, he wants you to speak them out to him what you feel about him, what you, what's going through your life at the moment, your confessions, your hurts, your pains, your disappointments, your aspirations, your failures, your successes. He wants you to speak to him. He wants you to have that, that level of intimacy. He wants to know your desires. 
He's patient. You keep on asking with him. Ask, seek, and knock. Don't, you know, don't stop doing it. Let's reserve time. Let's take special time out each day to spend time to, to, to generate, to um, ah, you know, build a relationship with our Father because he longs for us to come into his presence. And, you know, I, I, I sometimes, you know, I sit there and I think, oh, I can't feel God's presence. And, and you know, so I'm, I don't know what I'm expecting. And I think, you know, you just, just start, begin to worship. Begin to speak to him. You know, and the presence of God just, it just comes. I haven't had angels singing in the front room and that sort of thing, but they're, they're God, is, he just wants you to come into his presence. It's not like going into a cold study for a dressing down, but it's the warmth of being with him. He loves you. He sings over you. He rejoices over you with gladness. He has no regrets over you. Every single one of you has been called to him by name. He has no regrets. doesn't matter what you've done. He has no regrets over you. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness and joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with loud singing. So there is that time when you perhaps you think you want to get to sleep and you can't. It's because God's loud singing over you. But he, that's, that's our Father. That's our God. He's that close to us. That close. It's, it's just wonderful. Now moving on to even more good stuff. You are an heir of God and a fellow heir of Christ. You have been qualified the moment you become a Christian, you come via the cross, you are qualified. Don't, if anybody says you're not qualified, you are. You are qualified. You are qualified to receive. Now, these, this is some of the stuff in your inheritance. Eternal life and salvation. You get those. You know, this is your package as, uh, you know, when you sign up for the new job. This is, you know, it's better than that. This is your package. This is your eternal life and salvation. You are clothed with righteousness. You are clothed in rags. You look wretched before, but now you are clothed in righteousness. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He sees Jesus Christ. You are clothed in, in righteousness. You are holy. You, you are holy. Every, you know, every single one of you are holy. You are an ex-sinner. You are, you know, to quote Life of Brian, you are an ex-sinner. You are no longer a sinner. And you're holy. Wherever you go, you set the tone. You know, I, I hate cliches. How many have I come out with so far? But anyway, I hate cliches. You know, the, this, the, you know you're not the radiator. You are the um, thermostat. You know, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's true. You, are, you, you set the tone where you go. You're an influencer. You're an atmosphere changer. Doesn't you know? It doesn't matter how old you are, from the youngest to I won't say who the oldest is, but who you know to the oldest, you are 
an atmosphere changer. You go, you set the change. You, you change the atmosphere. You're no longer subject to the law. You have been set free from the law. That's a sermon in itself. We're no longer at war with God. We are now at peace with him. We don't war. We haven't, our nature is not warring against him because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus. We walk with the Spirit. God lives in us. The Spirit witnesses to us. He witnesses to our regenerated spirit of who we are. That we are a son of God. That we are an heir. That we are an inheritor. You are God's beloved. You are the apple of his eye. You are his favorite. Remember, you're all firstborn. Every single one of you is a firstborn son of Christ. And you are, every single one of you is his favorite. Another paradox. How can there be so many favorites? Because he's your God. He's your personal God. You are his favorite. You're no longer an orphan. You were once an orphan, but you are no longer an orphan. You're adopted into his family. You've been chosen by name. There is nothing accidental about any one of you. From conception to this day, there's a God plan for you. You know, and you, walk, you will find it and you will walk in his plan. You will walk in good deeds, good works, because we're saved for works, good deeds, not saved by them. There's opportunities for us to walk in the Spirit, in the, um, in the gifts of the Spirit. God wants us to be walking in these gifts. You know, he wants us, Paul talks to us about, you know, prophesy, walk in miracles, walk in healings, walk in words of knowledge. He wants, these things are there for us. They're not just there for, you know, super Christians, whatever, whoever they are. They are there for everyday super Christians like us, people that we have the Spirit of God within us, and we just need to come overcome our fears I say we just need to overcome our fears and um, we need to overcome the fear of man and the, the fear of being wrong, the fear of getting it wrong. But we, need, you know, we can walk in these gifts. They are there for us. And of course, part of our inheritance is the lost. The people outside of these doors, the people in our families, the people in our communities. That is part of our inheritance. We are, um, you know, that's where, you know, God equips us. He gives us the gifts. He gives us, his, we've got his word, we've got his Holy Spirit, and he's, he's gone out before us. The Holy Spirit goes out before us, and he convicts people of their sin. The lost are part of our inheritance. Who is it that we know that we would love to see turn from their sin? To know God as their saviour. People in our, in our families, our friends. These are the sort of people that, you know, we read long to them and we're looking for an opening 
that's not sort of crass and sort of a bit mechanical and that sort of We're looking for a natural. Well, ask God to give you that opening so that you can sort of not jump in, but you can ease in. And then it just seems a natural conversation. And you can speak to them about, you know, the wonder, the truth of God. And now the um, this not so easy stuff. And this is, um, yeah, anyway, let's go with it. And we're also in Romans 8, 17, it says, And we're fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. That's Romans 8, 17. Now, the, the word suffer here, this is, I'm a multilingualist, you see, so in the Greek, it means sum pasco. And, uh, and it's to experience pain jointly or of the same kind, specifically persecution. Now, so he doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I, I acknowledge Christ's um, sacrifice, I acknowledge his pain. It, it means that we potentially will go through the same things that he went through. So some of God's promises are conditional. So what does this mean to us today, here and now? I believe it means that we share in his sufferings. There is the potential for us to share in his, his sufferings. That doesn't mean we acknowledge them, but throughout our Christian life, we may have to suffer just as he suffered. We may have to partake in some of the same sufferings as he did. We shouldn't avoid them, they can prove who we are and who we love. Now that, so looking at, I was, we don't want to spend our life dodging, uh, dodging and ducking confrontation and sort of, we well, yeah, are not going to go there because that means I could end up being not liked by somebody. That sort of thing. So how did Christ suffer? He was reviled. He was criticized in an abusive manner. Now, some of you might identify with some of these because, you know, of a stance you've taken, a holy, you know, godlike stance you've taken. He was falsely accused. You know, even in the UK, we're seeing these things happening more and more. He was mocked and laughed at. Have you ever been mocked and laughed at? I have, loads of times. And uh, hated, yeah, I've been probably hated as well. Jesus says those that love him will be hated because of him. He was betrayed and abandoned. Even his friends betrayed and abandoned him. They left him on his own. Peter, who said, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you. He denied him. And he left him on his own. He was beaten. And ultimately, he was crucified. I mean, there are people in the world that go through um, these persecutions on a, on a regular, unfortunately, on a regular basis. I was, I was just going to put a list of uh, countries that you won't want to go on holiday on. North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, Nigeria. And that's, just, that's not an exhaustive list of countries where Christians face extensive persecution now some of these places they are um, they're not even 
they're not doing anything. They're just, they're just Christians. They're just living their life, you know, plowing their fields, going to work or whatever it is. And they are heavily persecuted. They are um, disadvantaged in the workplace. They don't have proper access to medical services. You know, they're considered the lowest of the low. And that's very often in Islamic states where there's Sharia law. These people are, um, you know, they are just, they are just persecuted. You know, in comparison, we have it relatively easy. I know of people that are persecuted. I don't know whether you've picked up the, um, on the, um, around abortion clinics, there's a um, exclusion zone where you're not allowed to protest. That's, that's the law. And uh, I know of two women that have been arrested for standing in the exclusion zone, for standing here like that not saying a word and they were arrested because they were praying silently the law you know they've been arrested because of that because they've just been standing there praying silently so you know you think it well, was the thought you know they're thinking something and they're arrested for it and there was it's on you know it's on this woman had a body cam on and the conversation with the police was really interesting. They said, are you protesting? And she said, no, I'm not protesting, I'm praying. And you see, she said, so she said to her, she goes, well, I'm arresting you because you're protesting here. In an, and she read out the law, etc. And she said, but I'm not protesting, I'm praying. She said, well, I'm, I don't care, I'm still going to arrest you. So she was arrested. So, the, you know, these sort of things, it was unheard of. Would that, you know, you think in the UK that sort of thing is happening. And it's regular people are um, being um, removed from their jobs. They're being sacked because their thoughts aren't in line with the current thinking on um, perhaps sexuality or uh, other issues, other social issues. I was sacked in um, 2011 because my views on marriage were not uh, commensurate with my employer. And th that sort of thing, you know, and so I went through a load of these things. I was laughed at, I was falsely accused. I, um, I spent more time being, yeah, this employer, I spent more time being disciplined than I did doing my job at times. Because I was, um, I remember, I, uh, I, I, I did this, um, I prayed for somebody who was sick and, uh, a Muslim complained that I didn't treat her the same, etc. etc. And it, long story, I'll just give you the short version. And I was disciplined over that, and I was suspended for three or four weeks whilst they, you know, brought a um, disciplinary action against me and all that sort of thing. And when, in the end, they even they thought this is absolutely stupid, and they, but they still found me guilty of something, and they sent me on a mentoring course on how to share my faith in work and that sort of thing, which was, you know, it was just, it was bizarre. And the guy that took it hadn't got a clue what to, you know, we just had these friendly chats in a coffee shop and that probably cost the business a fortune. But that, that, that was 10, 12 years ago. And these things are happening more and more. This is how things begin. They begin with bad laws potentially, you know, because you know, we don't think the right way. I'm not advocating that we go and poke the hornet's nest. 
that we go and do things that, you know, like go out into um, on Friday in, a, in the east of Bury and go out there and start shouting and preaching, you know, as they come out the mosque and that sort of thing. You know, you, you might make a public order, for instance. I'm not saying that we should go and poke the hornet's nest. But we need to do whatever God calls us to do. We need to do what he says we need to do. And because when we, are, when we are listening to him and when we're doing what he says, we're under his grace. And we must always be under his grace. We mustn't do things that take us outside of his grace. We mustn't be foolish. We must remember. And that's why I think that um, looking at uh, martyrs over the, you know, the years... And uh, certainly in the Reformation, in the you know, Elizabethan times, that people, and I wonder how did people who knew they were going to be burnt at the stake, how did they do that? You know, when they were given the opportunity to recant, and they said, no, I'm not going to recant, you know. And, you know, and I'm, God's grace must have been so powerful on them at that time. And so he enabled them to manage to go through that. I just find that incredible that those people went through those sorts of things. But as I said, the temperature is slowly changing here in the UK. And the freedoms to, to do things that we used to do are being slowly taken away. So finally, I just want to say that uh, our inheritance is an example of the now and the not yet. You know, we're in the, uh, we've got healing, and yet my back aches. You know, our bodies deteriorate as we get older, and they, you know, things that don't necessarily fall off, but, um, you know, things ache a bit, and uh, we're a bit creaky, and that sort of thing. So there, there we see the, the notch yet. There's still sin, there's still pain, there's still death. There's all these things in the world. There's still death and injustice. But I got this quote on glorification and uh, from, a, from a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's quite, you know, back in the day, quite a good preacher. And he said, glorification means a full and entire deliverance from sin. Evil in all its effects and in every respect, the whole person, man and woman, will be totally free and entirely delivered from every harmful effect of sin. And not only that, we shall become like the Lord Jesus, perfect and glorified. So, so that the, you know, we go through life and we're groaning because life isn't what it could be could be there's pains there's hurts and yet when we die we become perfect and glorified and that is something that uh, you know we we look forward to we hope for we don't see it but we are going to experience it